All right. Well, welcome to the Monday Minutes of the Huntback Country Podcast. As you know, if you listen to these episodes, these are shorter, more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Uh, this is myself, Mark, joined by Steve. How's it going, man? Good. Yeah, really good. It's uh, another Friday, Monday Minute for us. I'll be Monday, we'll be shooting all the K4 videos. Got a list of like 200 of them to shoot. <laughs> Just uh, going through fitting and you know, design and the frame and accessories and how to attach the accessories. And just, you know, we've got a laundry list of things that we want to tackle. So we're going to, Justin and I are going to go out on Monday and knock those all out. And um, yeah, excited to get those done. Finally, just kind of kept getting them. Certainly we've been wanting to get them out, but just been uh, other things to have taken priority, but we're finally to the point where for me anyways, productions cruising, there's, there's uh, this is certainly the next step that has to get done. And uh, yeah, and then you and I are working on, we're going to do a follow-up to the K4 behind the scenes design email that we did two weeks ago, where that one basically took from took us from 2019 until this summer, right at the death hike, and then kind of ended right there. And so we're going to carry that through from basically all the, the little tweaks I made uh, in June, July, and then going into production, show some uh, pr- production of the K4 prototypes, show those, uh, show what's cool is we've got hundreds of images of all the pack outs that the packs experienced in in uh, last hunting season and then follow that up with kind of where basically the feedback we got from that and where the final bags and all the final design tweaks ended up at yeah and that was uh we certainly got a lot of cool feedback on that like i said it was a fun email for us to put together and and uh it's cool when you get that kind of engagement when i when i personally have you know dozens of people reaching out like dude that email is cool whether it's friends or customers that have known me for a while it's uh i know that resonates with people yeah if people haven't seen the one that's already out there um i'll leave a link in the show description but if you just want to see like basically k4 now but like what it was what it looks like over the years what it's gone through and changes uh check it out it's just kind of fun to see for sure um diving into a listener question steve a timely one came through for spring bear hunting and obviously we're in march right now uh seasons are going to open up here in quite a few places next month in april guys are planning we're seeing questions on that so i wanted to tackle this one i'll read it it came through as an email and said i live in southwest idaho and hunted last season around mid-may time frame There was still snow up high, but lots of snow-free country as well, and I had a difficult time narrowing down where the bears were. In fact, we didn't end up seeing any bears. This year, we have a a hunt planned for late April in the same general area. Um, I can't change those dates because I have a friend flying in for this trip. So... With it being earlier than last year in the same general area and looking at Idaho snows from this winter, I'm worried about there being even greater snowpack, a lower snow line than usual, and having another difficult time finding bears. So I'm wondering if you have any advice for early season bears when snow is heavy, making it difficult to get away from towns and people at the lower elevations. Good question. What's your take, Steve? Yeah, if if the guy can't move his dates this year, I I would tell him if you want to have a successful hunt, move your dates. There's certainly <laughs> a lot. There's a lot of snowpack, and 
I, the, just because the bears are gonna, I'm not a bear biologist, but from what I've experienced, they, they come out of their den and they don't just go travel 20 miles, right? Like they don't come out and go, Oh man, the, you know, there's snow all here. I'm hungry. I'm going to go hike for long distances. In my experience, they come out of their dens and they, they stay pretty dang close to where their den is. And if, if there's just a bunch of snow, they crawl back in and go to sleep and they just kind of really slowly wake up. And I could be some, maybe some bear experts listening to me saying this guy's an idiot, but it's just been my experience <laughs> where that they're not that, you know, you need to, the number one ingredient for bears in Idaho is get away from people, get away from trail. They just don't like to be around people or places people can access easily. So it's like a, at least two miles, even in any direction from a hiking trail, four wheelers, cars, just noises, anything like that. So I would just get, you know, find a place in the backcountry, some good South facing slopes. They're going to melt and green up sooner. Make sure there's no roads, trails, anything nearby. And then, then it starts looking like bear country to me. And certainly, you know, for me, like when you came out on your hunt last year, we actually timed that exceptionally well. That was like May 16th. We were very high. We we're around 8,000 feet, but, uh, we were, we timed it perfectly to where the, there was still all the North facing slopes were still all snow covered up and everything South facing was pretty much melted off. And so that, that does really concentrate where you're spending your time glassing and it's the more open South facing slopes, which, you know, you're going to pick the bears up where if the, you know, they may, if it's melted on the North as well, then they're going to their feet on the South and they'll, they'll dump into the North facing slopes for cover. But that, uh, yeah early i've not had much luck unless it's a really warm spring which we are not having right now i mean it's march and it's been snowing slightly like an inch every night at my house this whole week i can't imagine what the mountains look like i would really really push his push those dates into may if you can and i'd go mid to late right now if you want a successful hunt the that april time frame yeesh and say would not not look good and the bears the more that the more there's a sweet spot of the more the snow melts the more feed the, there is the more active they are then in you there's this the sweet spot is before everything's melted the south facing slopes are exposed the grass is growing but then the brush hasn't leafed up yet and so the glassing becomes really easy once once you get into like on a normal year, I would say the end of May into early June, when everything's just really green and lush, then the bears just have so much cover to disappear into that then it becomes really, t- really tricky. So much cover and the food sources and it's concentrated. So it's not holding the bears. Correct. Yep. Right. They just get scattered. Yeah. Yeah. So big variables. Let's say he can't move dates. You know, he was planning on going to the same general areas last year, but is there a situation of, and I'm not necessarily asking you this, Steve, or asking you to <laughs> tell him where to go. But if you flat out truly can't move dates, then maybe question, can we just move areas? And maybe that means not a drainage. Maybe that means a different part of the state or several hours away or just thinking from a very macro level. OK, if I'm dealing with these dates and I know what the conditions are. Uh, in this same area or have had experience in snowpack, et cetera, like 
what can we change and we can change location. We can get into a different type of country kind of completely, um, maybe find a different elevation band, different type of topography mm-hmm. that's going to hold some bears, but maybe not have the high probability of snowpack that the area he has been in um, has had. Yeah, you just need to, all my bear hunting I've ever done is is based around central Idaho. So the mountains that are, you know, from 5,000 to 10,000 feet, I would start looking at country that could hold bears that's that 2,000 to 5,000 feet. And that's, um, yeah, there's there are spots in the state that, that do that, that would hold bears. I thought of this question, obviously it's timely, wanted to chat through it. Also just wanted to point this guy and listeners who are interested in spring bear hunts to resources we've had on the podcast prior. Um, Specifically, Douglas Bowes is a diehard bear hunter, has written books on bear hunting, uh, and has a wealth of knowledge. He was on our podcast several, several years ago, and that was episode 115, and it was a great episode. And then we had him back just last spring, uh, specifically to answer bear hunting questions that we got from you guys. So that is episode 334. Again, I'll leave links in the show description to both of those previous episodes that are you know, full length, deep dives with a true um, bear hunting expert. Um, and then this topic reminded me, I just saw a, a video pop up from Josh Kirchner, who uh, again is pretty much a diehard bear guy. And he has a very in-depth um, video all about e-scouting for spring bears. Uh, I think it's 40 minutes. I didn't watch the whole thing, um, but did kind of go through it and skip through it. And he shares some great information in that. So that's a video that I'll leave a link um, to in the show description as well. So some great resources if you guys really want to dive deep on planning your spring bear hunts that are coming up. Uh, All right. Next question, Steve, let's hop over and tackle one about uh, frame height on packs in general. This guy's talking about both a K2 frame and a K4 frame, but um, what we'll cover here with frame height is going to get into some kind of big picture with packs in general. Here's this question. Hey guys, I bought a K2 several years ago, have really enjoyed it. Uh, Really excited about the K4 and its ability to Uh, load animals a little quicker in the pack but one of the biggest uh, disadvantages I found with the K2 and maybe the only thing I dislike about it is during off-season camping or dirt biking or four-wheeling when I'm wearing a helmet I'm going up a hill I'm trying to look and my head will hit the back of the frame so I was exploring options on your K4 going smaller I'm about five foot eight and looking to go to a shorter frame I was curious if you guys could speak to the pros and cons of going to a shorter uh, frame coming from a taller frame and maybe the advantages to either of those. Thanks guys. All right, Steve. So before we dive into uh, kind of an answer, I just want to pull out some, some details and context uh, as much for the listeners as anybody, but he mentioned he's on a K2 frame right now, which is a 25 inch frame. Uh, He said he's either five, eight or five, nine, I think five, eight. And then he specifically said in the off season, riding four wheelers, doing other things is when he notices kind of uh, that that frame height is creating some clearance issues and things like that. Um, So those are like important details that I'm hearing in his question that I think set up context for 
uh, an answer that we can talk about in terms of pros and cons on frame height. But let's just start with for this guy, what would you say about selecting a frame height option for a K4 pack since we do have numerous options now? Yeah, he's so we got the four heights, 22, which is really not exclusive to the women's frame, but five foot five and under, I would say. You and I were working on the sizing chart the other day. I can't remember what we put down for that. And then 23 and a half, which is going to be from that five foot five to five foot nine ish range, just depending on your torso though there's there's a big overlap between the two sizes and, and that's why we were spending a lot of time working on this chart the other day for the, when the website goes live and then you got 25 inch frame which which i personally wear at five foot 11 the and his k2 is a 25 inch frame and an important one random note is like a k4 25 inch frame would be like a 26 inch k2 just how the the if you go back and look at that K4 design article, I got that we did that side by side photo of the two different packs, and you can see just how much higher K4 sits than K3, and it, mm-hmm. it's like at least a solid inch. So yeah, for him, I would say go 23 and a half, just with his size, and that's going to get better head clearance. If he wants to, he could also get the 22 inch frame and put those stays in for his motorcycle trips and scouting trips, and then switch over to the 23 and a half for the hunting trips where he's going to get a little bit better carry on the shoulders and frame height is we talked about this, I think in the last podcast a little bit too, but it's 80% of the weight is transferring to the hips. So frame height is not, it helps the shoulder harness feel better, but it's not, it's never going to be a night and day difference. It's just going to go from like really good to even better than that. That's the difference on, on the frame height. The, the downside to the taller frame is head clearance. You know, motorcycle helmet's a great example of this. I had the same thing when, on my elk hunt. Um, when, did the, when I killed my bull last year by myself, I rode in on motorcycle for a ways. And yeah, that I, even with a 25-inch frame, it was annoying as heck because all of a sudden I got this big, thick motorcycle helmet. And if you're riding uphill and need to lift your head back, there's not a lot of room there. You kind of feel like you're uh, wearing a neck brace, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, yeah, so that's, um, for this guy, I'd say 22 to 22 inch frame, probably for when he's just doing the short, uh, trips and wants to bet really good head clearance, riding his motorcycle and then switch out to the 23 and a half for the hunts. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing with, as you said, Steve, we were working on like the frame height selection, hip belt size selection, the quote unquote fit chart, but, um, more than just looking at a chart, we're trying to communicate that there are going to be for almost everybody at least two frame height options that can work right so there's the physical fixed frame height the length of the frame stays but there's six inches of range of torso adjustment on any of our packs and so let's say you had just to throw out a number a 19 inch torso we can make a couple frame heights fit that 19 inch torso perfectly the difference, as you said, Steve, is going to be now with these different frame stays and lengths, how high above your shoulder um, is that frame sticking up? And that becomes uh, a matter of really hunting style in a lot of ways. Like for this guy, mm-hmm. if he was riding a dirt bike a ton and maybe day hunting and things like that, the shorter frame you know, is a great solution. But if we take the same guy with the exact same build and he's now going on, 
a 10 day sheep hunt in Alaska and he's carrying 60 pounds on his back day after day, he's going to be better served by a taller frame height, right? Because the the dirt bike's out of the factor, the helmet's not a factor. He's carrying more weight consistently. So that extra improvement that you talked about with the taller frame is just going to benefit him a lot more. So um, again, we're going to lay that out, but a lot of times there's not one this or that black or white this will fit you or won't fit you answer um we're going to give you two options and then also give you the information on best deciding between those two options for exactly what you're doing yeah and that's why we have the adjustment built in because there is no perfect answer everyone's a little different and even just obviously the the torso varies wildly like tyler boschman and i are both five foot 11 and he's his torso's a legit two inches longer than mine i mean he he's more like his torso you'd think he was six foot three right just mm-hmm. shorter legs shorter kind of hip bone construction and then he just needs he needs a 26 and a half inch frame even though we're the exact same height uh, so it's just a little bit of trial and error there and we'll, we'll that's why you know on monday that will certainly be a couple of videos specifically addressing that that we're going to shoot and put out there so guys can make the uh, most informed decisions Cool. All right, Steve, this next question came through also via SpeakPipe um, about the use of rifle scopes. And it surprised me, but this, this question has come up multiple times. And so I just figured it was worth addressing. Uh, here it is. Hey, guys. Thanks again for so much great content. Uh, just a quick question on the podcast with Night Force Scopes was listening to him talking about higher powers using your rifle scope as a spotting scope. And I wanted to get your thoughts on the safety of that practice as opposed to having a separate spotting scope or binoculars for spotting and scanning country rather than using your, your rifle. Thanks so much. All right, Steve. So this question is, uh, I would say, pretty irrelevant in a way to you and I because we don't use high power rifle scopes. But I've seen this topic and question come up numerous times as this guy mentioned uh, it was mentioned during our podcast with night force for example about using a higher power rifle scope as a spotting scope and so i just want to address a few points on that Um, this guy addressed safety specifically uh, which obviously could be a concern if you are using a rifle uh, you know, one of the fin- fundamental rules of handling a firearm is do not point it at something you are not willing to kill or destroy. So inherently by um, using your optic as a spotter, when you're not intentionally ready to fire that rifle, you need to be careful with safety, of course. My recommendation there is one, hunt with an empty chamber, period. But two, if you were to set up and use your rifle um to use the optic to spot, whether that's for game or something else, I would just say completely open and retract or potentially even remove the bolt uh, just to be completely safe, especially if you're hunting with others as well. So that's a quick safety tip, just flat out remove or completely open the bolt. Um, Now I say it's irrelevant to you and I, Steve, because you and I hunt with a 10 power rifle scope max. And so we're not gaining anything um, from a magnification perspective. I will say that the I do personally know guys who run a higher magnification rifle scope and there's some scenarios where they would use that to get a closer look at an animal 
they're not using the rifle scope, quote unquote, as a spotter, meaning clearly you're not sitting around and glassing with your rifle as you would with a spotting scope. So they're using it in very limited circumstances to say, perhaps I've been glassing with my binos. I see this game. I see a frame. It's an animal I want to get a closer look at. Let me go ahead and throw my rifle up and get a closer look at it with my rifle scope. That's something obviously altogether different than let me sit back, set my rifle up and just kind of use my rifle scope to locate something to try and find something. They're very different things. So um, again, because this question came up, just wanted to be really clear on safety and then kind of clarify, at least from my perspective for the guys I know who personally use this approach that they're not using the rifle scope necessarily as a glassing device to locate or look for things. They're using it simply as a quick way to get a closer look at something that they've already spotted. Does that make sense, Steve? Yeah, hundred percent. I, I had the, you know, the, I had a, my hunt last year where I killed my, my monster two point. Uh, and that's very sarcastic monster <laughs> the uh, i had the we ran it you know i had a elk tag at the same time in the same country and so i was hunting whatever i you know whatever i saw that day and there was certainly a, there was a group of cows on the spine ridge at like a thousand yards and pulled up the binos and you know i was completely content to shoot me a meat spike and i you know through my binos i couldn't pull out anything and i had to pull out my tripod, pull out a spine scope, put that on there and, and look. And then, yeah, I think it was not long after that, we did the night force podcast where we talked about using a high power scope. And in that scenario, I was like, man, that could have been awesome. Cause I, I didn't need the spine scope that day. I just packed it just because it was mm-hmm. like, man, I could have just for that specific, I mean, it's a very specific use, use case, but for that country, it wasn't so everything was like within, you know, certainly within a mile that were just tripod, mounting my binoculars covered everything I needed for glassing, except for, you know, when I'm looking for a spike with eight inch horns at a thousand yards, then, mm-hmm. then, uh, yeah, that rifle scope would have been a cool tool to have that day and, and not have to pack the spine scope. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect scenario. Yeah. Like you said, there's, an, I don't know anybody that's doing that. That's actually legitimately glassing. And then same, same as you, I never have a round chambered until I am literally 15 seconds from pulling the trigger on an animal. That's the very last thing I do. I even do that with my pistol when I'm packing around, you know, in the, I know that, uh, you know, if a bear charges, I want a round racked in there, but at the same time, I realize that, you know, I'm not a, uh, sufficiently trained in handling a pistol. And I think the accidental discharge and shooting your buddy in the freaking leg is significantly higher than, a bear charging me and me not having that extra second to get around racked in there. I know it's uh when I'm, when I hunt with Boshma, he's always got something racked in there and it makes <laughs> yeah. me nervous as hell, man. Cause it's just, <laughs> it's in there all the time. The, you know, the, he, you're setting the pack down on the ground and I know it's in the ivory holster and whatnot, but it's just the, it just makes me nervous. Yeah, I do. I, yeah, I think that's a different topic. It's good to do what you <laughs> have comfort and confidence in, period. So yeah. I fully support yeah. you doing that 100%. Yeah. You'll know You'll know. I'll never accidentally shoot you. <laughs> yeah, I, pre- I mean, as someone who walks around with you a lot, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I would just 
again on this topic i'm not saying don't have a high power scope we've talked plenty about the downsides of shooting at high magnification though um and it was funny i had already planned to talk about this question today and then happened to be like cruising through a hunting video recently and saw a guy take a shot hit an animal and he could not the animal was right there it ran 20 yards and was standing there um and clearly was a scenario where it needed to have a follow-up shot but this guy was so flustered and could not find the animal in his scope and you could (laughs) you could a hundred percent tell it was because he took that first shot at higher magnification and then he's there behind the rifle scanning around everywhere and moving and yeah pressure and nerves and excitement all that's a factor but you could just tell in the way that he was interacting with his rifle that he was just cranked way too high up on magnification and didn't have good field of view to be able to easy easily relocate that animal um not to mention when you do shoot at higher magnification essentially the this the recoil is the recoil you're gonna have the same amount of movement in the rifle system but that's only going to be exaggerated by the magnification setting that you're on making it harder to get back on target as well so again um a different scenario but just for the guys who do run a higher magnification i'll just say don't get used to shooting you know, high magnification at the range or being super zoomed in on game and then thinking you need to do that in hunting scenario. And that's really just a matter of you for the game you're hunting, looking at what zoom ranges make the most sense and what gives you confidence. And I would say use as much as you need, but not more than you need in in general. Yeah. Something that you uh, reminded me of in that scenario is that when I did switch over to that knife force, that has the throw lever for adjusting your magnification quickly. And mm-hmm. I, as the first scope I had that ever had that, it is unbelievably convenient. And it, and it makes it just very easy to pull back out, get a picture of what you're looking for, throw it, you know, you're, I can literally still stay in the scope and just put my thumb on it and pull it over and zoom in. It's so nice that versus other things I've used in the past where you really got to come completely out of the scope, grab onto it with your hand, twist it, one of the I had this vortex one that was unbelievably hard to twist, right? That uh, with cold hands and cold weather, it's, it'd be really hard. Like this night force one, just bam, throw it over, stay in the scope the whole time. There was that we didn't end up shooting it, but it was, uh, uh, all my hunting things are revolved around aiming at spikes here. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, on the outcut in twenty twenty one when we you'd killed your bull and then we went further down oh, the canyon yeah. and yeah. there's that spike you know it was only like 200 yards but he's weaving in and out of the trees and you're you're that on the binos tough. trying to spot him and i was constantly like in out in out on that thing and i ended up not being able to get shot off but i know if i'd had any other scope it would have been like a lost cause because it, it's like I, I needed to be backed out he was close enough that i need to be all the way down at two and a half x just to find him and then and then zoom back in to make the shot yeah those encounters crack me up because we were set up on that elk for quite a while oh man and we moved positions and like he was just he was kind of cross canyon but as you said it wasn't actually a far shot it was just a super steep canyon and uh there we would like set up and be ready to 
fire and then he would like just take one step and he would still be there but his vitals were behind a tree and then he'd disappear completely and then come back out in a different spot and we just walked away <laughs> after probably 30 minutes it was like that oak has no idea how many times he saved his own life it was so literally funny. yeah step left or step right and he would have been dead like a dozen different times <laughs> yeah and there was one of those scenarios where once you got you know, from our view, it's like you're looking right into this north facing slope that you could see it pretty well. But when, I think once you if you crossed over there and got in, it'd be like, oh, yeah, the brush is over our head and it's super uh -huh. thick. And uh, I had that happen on a bear once where it's like from my view, I was like, oh, it's, he's standing in the wide open. And I got over there and it was just freaking jungle. Mm -hmm. All right. Final question for today, Steve. Um, it came through asking if you mentioned we were shooting videos on Monday for K4. A question came through asking if we were going to shoot any updated what's in my pack videos for 2023 in general, showing the gear that we're using, but then also show how we are loading and utilizing kind of the layout and organization of K4 when we pack for our own personal hunts. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think any of that will happen immediately. We'll just do it as I like to have those be as authentic as possible. So you know, like my sheep hunt video we did last year, that was, you know, two days prior to leaving for the sheep hunt or the day prior, uh, where it's like, all right, this is my gear versus just kind of mocking one up. Uh, but we'll certainly do that here, you know, uh, pending how crazy things are once we launch Cape four, get you out here in late May for a bear hunt. So we'll do, we'll do a bear hunt, do a kind of cool backpacking trip and do a video and then shoot some scouting ones. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, for the most part, very little and nothing has changed on how I load the pack. If you go watch that sheep video, the everything's identical to between that K3 and K4 because the bags have remained um, you know, almost identical with the exception of a few, how you access the spine scope pockets and that kind of double lower stretch pocket. All right. Well, guys, if um, one thing that would be cool to do, if you just want to make sure you don't miss videos is, yeah, we'll try and share many emails and things like that, but you can always just go to straight to our YouTube channel and hit subscribe there. And that way is we're uploading videos of what's in my pack in the future or a ton of videos here soon on K4. If you just want to make sure you see them, that's just another place where um, straight on YouTube you can get notified or at least see when new content's added. So again, I'll leave a link in the show description if you guys want to do that. If you have any questions for us for a future Monday Minute episode, be sure to send us an email to podcast at xomountgear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave us a message and that's how you can leave us an audio message. We appreciate you guys doing that. It's fun to hear different questions and scenarios that we don't necessarily think of as top of our mind, such as using a rifle scope as a spotter. Uh, but it's fun to think through those and talk through those and uh, share experience and thoughts on that. So thanks for submitting the questions. Thanks as always for tuning into the show. We will talk to you soon.